Jarrett, thanks for sitting down and uh, showing us uh, the property that Mission Adelante has been able to purchase uh, recently, uh, just as a result of the Welcome Home project. I want to say to you, I guess, um, welcome home. This yeah. is uh, the new ministry headquarters for the, uh, the refugee resettlement side of Mission Adelante. In our church, we, we use the phrase kairos. It's that Greek word that means the divine moment of God's movement. And if this feels like a Kairos thing, yes. uh, you started at Heartland decades ago. So we launched in 2005. You know, we were at Heartland for about seven years and I grew up in ministry at Heartland in a lot of ways. Went to South America. Um, and when we were overseas, we realized how hard it is to live in a foreign country. Mm. And so God had planted the seed in our heart to say, when we come back and start Mission Adelante, or what are we gonna do? We wanted to do something that had to do with loving people from other places. Yeah. And so we started Mission Adelante. 2005, yeah. we moved right into this neighborhood in KCK that is, the nearest grade school was 82% Latino. So we knew we were right where God wanted us. We've been serving immigrants and refugees now for many years, but the idea of doing refugee resettlement was something new for us. And really, in the world right now, there's an unprecedented number of uh, displaced people, refugees, because of war, violence, different things like that, who've had to flee their country. And we were actually approached by World Relief, and they invited us into this process to become an affiliate um, to resettle refugees. Um, through our office here in Kansas City. At the so. same time, you have this burden. This building is undergoing changes with its owners and all that stuff, and it hits the market. What's your thought the day that you found out that the property literally next door to yours had become available? Kairos. Yeah, I mean, that's the that's going back to the word that you're talking about. I mean, it was this moment of, uh, it was, you know, our, we were just launching and we'd been preparing all year, and then all of a sudden, the real estate agent calls me and says, hey, the building I store to you guys is on the market. Are you interested? I was like, yes. Yeah. Got on the phone, called my board. The board of directors was like, absolutely, let's do it. And so here we are just a couple months later, and now um, the building is ours. Yeah. The phrase <clears throat> we used uh, in, at the end of last year to describe what our fundraising efforts were around at the at their year-end project was the phrase welcome home. Mm -hmm. What do those two words mean to you? Yeah, I mean, welcome. We just want to, we want to be a place that demonstrates the hospitality of Christ, where people feel um, not like we're looking at them with skepticism or, or um, holding them at arm's length, but we're embracing. And so welcome means embracing. Yeah. And home means it's a place where they belong. And that's, uh, and that's what we want to create here. We were so grateful to be able to partner with you and to say from our church to yours that we believe in the ministry that God's given to you. Uh, not just because you've come out of our church, but because there's a rightness for who Jesus is and what he calls us as his followers to be in this world. And so uh, when you called us, it was an easy yes. And to be here, to see everything that's going on, it's just a really um, wonderful, wonderful thing. We're just so excited for you. And we have one more surprise uh, for you, just as a ministry from us. So Jared, as you know, we have loved uh, being part of this, having your mission be part of the Welcome Home. 
Uh, I know you've already received a gift from Heartland on behalf of Heartland, and we have one more for you today. Oh this gosh. is a gift for $25,000 wow. to just help as you continue the project. Wow. Thank you, Steve and Dan. And wow. Thank you, Heartland. This is, this is tremendous. I mean, yeah, the first gift got us to the point where we could say, yeah, this is going to happen. And this is getting us, um, getting us to the goal we had or yeah. just really close. Wow. Yeah. Thank yeah. you so much. Our people responded so positively and there was more than we thought was gonna come wow. in. And we couldn't think of a better place for us to invest mm -hmm. our time, our money, and our love, except for with you wow. guys. So, welcome home. Wow, what a great surprise. Thank you, and thank you, Heartland. I mean, come on, that's, that's what you guys did. That was, that was you going above and beyond being able to really put wind in the sails of what God's doing here in Kansas City uh, for people who are, are really displaced lives, but, but more than that, displaced hearts. And that's what our church has been um, really missioned to do for 37 years, is to find displaced hearts and locate them in the story of God. So um, way to go. I'm, I'm very excited because that's just the first of some of the updates with the Welcome Home extras that we'll share with you over the coming months together. So get ready, get ready for more of that. You ready for more of that? Yeah, me too, me too, I love it. I tried to get Oprah to do that moment for us, but she was busy. Um, hey, I wanna talk to us today about prayer, not because I wanna talk to us about prayer, but because Jesus wants to talk to us about prayer. And I wonder, um, when was the last time that you prayed? When was the last time that you prayed? Notice I didn't ask the question, have you prayed? You've prayed. Uh, every year, polls come out asking Americans how, if they pray or not, and regardless of re uh, religious affiliation, the overwhelming majority of Americans have prayed in the, in the previous 90 days. In fact, the most conservatively negative polls, or, or the ones that put a bottom line to how many people pray, offer this number that two out of three Americans pray on a regular basis. That's the worst of the number. On the high side, it's somewhere around 97% of Americans pray. So when was the last time that you prayed? I received a text this past weekend, uh, this past week actually, from a, a really sweet friend of mine, a guy that I've gotten to know, him and his son played on my baseball team. Uh, right when I got here to Kansas City, we became friends, um, been able to be involved in his life in a really fun way. I really like this guy a lot. He's a great family. And so he texts me this week, and um, he's putting his son to bed, and he, he, he goes, um, Dan, I got to ask you about prayer because here's what happened. Um, I'm praying to put my son to bed at night, and um, he doesn't tell me why they're praying or if there's something going on in life. But from what I gathered... At the end of the story, the son looked at his dad concerned, like dad was taking a leap, didn't really know how to pray, and maybe this nine-year-old was like, dad, I don't think you did it right. <laughs> and what I gathered is, um, he, he said to his dad, dad, you didn't say the magic word to God, please. <laughs> and so my, my friend, he, he, you know, he's a good dad, and so he... He, um, he kind of smooths it over his son. He goes, oh, no, no, but son, the whole prayer is like please to God. And his son thinks it over. He goes, okay, that's, that's probably true. And my, my friend turns out the light and says, good night, good night, buddy, love you. And then he pulled out his phone immediately and texted me. 
And he goes, Dan, is it true that you have to say please? Or is the whole prayer just a please? <laughs> and I love that question because it's so real. Like we have that question. How does prayer work? The last time that you prayed, I wonder if you knew how prayer worked. How do we get prayer to work for us? Because here's what I know to be true. Prayer works. That's an amen point for those of you who have prayed. By the way, of the polls, 87% of Americans polled who do pray say that they've seen their prayers answered. So that's also interesting, 87%. Prayer works. And if we look at the model prayer that Jesus gives us here in the Sermon on the Mount, maybe some of you have been waiting for us in this series to get to this prayer. This is called the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Jesus teaches us that, that prayer works in three very powerful ways, powerful ways. I want to talk to us about the three powers of prayer today. Three powers of prayer. Power is just the ability to do work. If you're in engineering, you, you, you create power, right? You create the ability to do work. If, if you, if you um, are raising young, young boys to cut the grass for you like I am, I'm trying to instill power in them so they can do some work, you know? Power. Power is how work gets done. And, and so prayer, prayer is how we access the power of God. And I wanna, want you to see Jesus' teaching because he's going to give us three powers that are at work when we pray. So join me, Matthew chapter 6, verse 6. We'll kind of back up a little bit and then get, get into, uh, into where we're going. A little, a little ahead of steam here and how we pray. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And I love that um, God rewards his kids. That's just like an awesome, like we should not forget that God wants to reward your steps of faith. When you reach out to him, he, reach out, he reaches out to you too. And then he says this, Jesus says, when you pray, don't keep babbling on like the pagans or the pastors. Stop. Come on. You know other churches preach way longer. So They think they'll be heard because of their many words. But, but don't be like them because your father knows what you need before you ask him. Man, didn't Kristen just do a great job with this verse last week? Just really grateful for her. That's how not to pray. Jesus turns the corner, verse 9. So pray like this. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I know some of you are like, do I say this out loud? Because the church I grew up in, we, when someone said that, I started repeating. It's like a Pavlovian, Pavlovian reflex. Like I just have to repeat it. And um, I don't know. I feel like this is the moment we can. So uh, if you want to say this with me, you can. You don't, you don't have to. Um, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I, um, <clears throat> I love that Jesus teaches us how to pray. Because he knew that we would have questions about prayer. Prayer was not new in Jesus' day. He was not introducing a concept for communication to God. When he says, this is how you should pray, he's also not trying to give us a script that we need to have, like a call script for our job. 
You know, some people have call scripts, so you're in sales. You've got a way to talk about your product with people, so your company gave you to say these things. And Jesus is not saying, like, hey, in your life, just say these things, then you'll be fine, and you'll get all the power of God in your life. There's more going on in what Jesus is saying. And the reason I point this out is because if we don't understand that this is not a script, what we might fall victim of is thinking that prayer has to have the magic word in it of please. In my text back to my friend, I said, I was like, dude, I love, I love this question because it's so honest. Um, you know, Jesus isn't ever going to give us the right words to pray or the right way to pray. Because if it was just as simple as saying the right words in the right order, everyone would be healthy and rich forever. I'll put a little winky face after that. Like, kind of a sarc that, like, hope you get it. That, let me just help you with what that's called. That's called witchcraft. This is not an incantation. This is not magic. There's something deeper going on here that Jesus is calling out. And I don't want us to just reduce the power of prayer into just a set of words. Although these words have tremendous power in them. So here's what I want you to see. Prayer is more powerful because it's first and foremost the strength of relationship. Prayer, we come to God because he is our father. The power of prayer here is is personal. There's personal power of prayer. I want to show you this three ways throughout this passage. The personal power of, of prayer. We come to God and notice, I started back a couple verses in verse 6 because from verse 6 all the way through uh, verse 9, four times Jesus calls out the word Father. When you pray, go into uh, the secret and your Father who knows you, your Father will reward you. Your Father hears you. And then he switches, he says, our Father in heaven. When we come to God, this is what Craig said as he got up to do the announcements. Man, he's preaching the announcements. We have a Father. We're children of God. Prayer orients my heart back to the relationship that I have with my ultimate father. And I want to just remind us that Jesus says it's our father in heaven. This is um, in some sense a a way for us to to locate God, but it's more a reminder, I think, from Jesus to, to remind us that not where God is, but this father is our heavenly father. Because um, not one of us exists today without an earthly father. And... I want to draw a quick distinction between fatherhood then and fatherhood today because people have opinions about fatherhood today. It's not consistent. There is no uniform opinion about fathers. Um, we, I, I don't think we, we esteem fathers the way they esteemed fathers in Jesus' day. But I want to say this about what, what fathers were like back in Jesus' time. In the days of Jesus, I'll start with the children. Children had no voice and they had no power. A child was utterly dependent for everything in their lives based upon the goodness and the provision of the father. And the father was a revered role which was taken incredibly seriously by virtually everyone in the ancient world. To the best of our understanding in, in the Jewish culture, fatherhood was something to be revered. The, the, the pater familius was this role, this head of household, was this role that was almost like the apex of society. And so a man who had a family was not burdened but blessed to become a provider for his children. 
So that's kind of how it worked back then. I kind of feel like my kids run my house. <laughs> and that's all I'll say. Fathers were the glue of the family. It was their job to be invested in the relational dynamics of the household. When, when, we, when Jesus says, our father in heaven, maybe there were some dad wounds that were associated with earthly fathers. Sure, ever since humanity has been broken through the fall, communication, family, relationship structures, systems, emotions, all that has been fractured and frustrated. So Jesus reminds us that our heavenly father, our perfect father, our good father, is who we're talking to, the one who knows everything that we need, the, the, the paterfamilias of all paterfamilias, the father of fathers. And so he's, he's saying your, your father on earth might be one way, but when you address your father in heaven, you're, you've got a model, dad, the father, the image of father that all of our hearts long for. It's got a father that doesn't scare us or scar us, but a father who has worked to provide for all of our needs and to care for all of our futures. And how do you get to know this father? That's the power of prayer. So you get to know your father in heaven through prayer. Like a child coming to their dad, having a conversation. You can personally talk with God and grow in your relationship with him. And all you have to do is pray. And if you do, the power of prayer will first move you to start seeing him as the best father who is interested in know you and cares about you and cares for you. When, when I pray, God brings my heart close to his. Even if I feel angry or scared or am unaware of what I'm feeling... God knows. This is the promise that Kristen walked us through last week. Your father knows what you need before you even ask him. Verse 8. That's why the words don't necessarily matter in the sequence of the order. Because God already knows. And he's delighting in us when we come to him as kids saying, Dad. Daddy. A lot's been made about the word Abba in the scripture. And if you're a church person, I just want to inflate your bubble. Because I actually think we've misappropriated it over the last like three or four decades. It wasn't like Jesus reinventing a word saying like, Daddy, I can have a personal relationship with you. But the principle's here, that our dad wants us to climb up in his lap and talk to him about our day. He loves us. He loves us. A good dad, it's close to being a Father's Day sermon. <laughs> a good dad will draw out the affections of his child. I've been thinking about this a lot lately. A good dad will instill identity into the heart of his child. He will instill understanding of emotions within his child. It's the job of a dad to help a child grow into maturity into the whole measure of what the scriptures call, what Paul calls manhood. I would say Paul could include women in that as well. Maybe in the sequel he will. For all of the children to know their true worth is what the father does. And this is the relational power of prayer. Is that not only when I pray do I understand my father in heaven. When I go to my father, my father draws me out and I understand myself better too. 
This is the relational power of prayer. When I go, when I go the best days with me and my actual earthly dad talk and we, we hang out. I was in Chicago yesterday for a funeral. It went great. We honored my grandma. We were honest about her life. She was crazy at the end. It was kind of bananas. But we had these sweet moments, me and my dad, where we got to talk and got to, to share, share life. And, you know, in moments like that, the question that everyone's asking you is, how are you doing? Right? I've joked about this before. My dad criticized me for joking about this, but my family's Norwegian. And the movie Frozen was, bi- was based upon us. Conceal, don't feel, don't let it show. Just let it go. It's my family. <laughs> My family inspired that movie. I am Hans. My son Miles is Olaf, I think, and my other son Graham is Sven, the reindeer. We don't, here's what happened yesterday. It was so funny to watch. It was so funny to watch. You know, all the dads, so there's a couple uncles and stuff in the room, and they're all just stiff. They're all just stuffing down their emotions for five minutes let's just not cry and I get it it's hard it's a hard thing to confront death it's a hard thing to think about the entirety of of someone's life and invariably someone would come up to one of us and go so how you doing and we've learned fine 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 and it it grew you know over the course of of a couple of, of days and even even hours there I realized that the faster that I said I'm fine, the more unbelievable it became. <laughs> so the last time, we get through the whole day, and Kristen looks at me, and my dad is there, and she looks at us, she goes, how are you guys doing? And both of us take a beat. We're like, we're fine. <laughs> and she goes, what was the pause? That, was, that makes me more nervous for you guys. And here's, here's why I tell you all that. It's because it was so obvious to me that what prayer does in our hearts is it's a moment for God to ask us, how you doing? It's a moment for God, our Father in heaven, to go, hey, hey, I know this is hard. Are you okay? And sometimes we don't know how to express that. And prayer gives us the opportunity to come to our Father and to say to God, hey, I want to say I'm fine, but I know that you know that I'm not fine, and I know that only you know how to make me better than fine, and so can you help me, God, today understand who I am? And if you pray on a regular basis, not only will you know the heart of your father better, you'll know your own heart better. It was the reformer John Calvin who said that you cannot know God unless you first know yourself. And it was the pastor Dan Jacobson who said, you cannot know yourself until you pray to God. This is how Jesus expects it to work. It is relationship. It's a relational power. Let me push this one more dimension for you. Not only does it put us right with our Father and right with our hearts, but um, notice this. Jesus says it's our Father. And this is where our English limitations kind of bug us. The, The word for you in the second person singular is the same word for you in the third person, second person plural. That's how English works. That's how language works. It's the same word, you. The Southerners get it better. They say y'all for second person plural. We just say you. And so um, in all of this, as Jesus is teaching, he says you, you, you. And in America, we like being the center of attention. Us really means me and I. Every teaching 
is individual. This is why podcast preaching is a thing. We feel as if we can get the divine utterances of God into our heart because when God says, you shall have no other gods beside me, we think like we really mean me, but the you is plural. And Jesus makes this incredibly obvious in this statement. He says, our father. So when you come to pray, he doesn't say, what you should pray is my father. He says, you got to pray our father, which is really interesting for me because I can't pray our without you being with me. You try and get in your car by yourself today and go, all right, I got to pray like Jesus said. So our father, we really need your help. You have a, you have split personality disorder. I mean, wouldn't you, you'd be, you, you go crazy. You cannot pray in the plural by yourself. And I hope you see what I'm saying is that like prayer is a team sport. God has designed this such that, that we come together and we pray together and we do this together. This is why our mission at, at Heartland is to make space to build relationships that make Jesus first. It's, be, it's because we have a father. Yesterday at the funeral, my grandma's name was Ingrid. Ingrid, sweet lady. And... Um, there at the funeral, uh, she was really old. She was 94 years old, and she kind of outlasted a lot of her friends. We didn't know who was going to be there. We didn't know if it was just going to be family or, like, some friends there or church people. We didn't know. And a whole bunch of people showed up. It was such a blessing to celebrate someone and see aspects of their life you didn't know was a part of them. And what we realized in the room is that we had an Ingrid together. It was our, uh, she was our Ingrid. To my aunts, my uncles, my dad, she was our mother. To me and the other grandkids, she was our grandmother. To my kids, she was our great-grandmother. There was even someone in the room who could call her great-great-grandmother. Kid doesn't talk, but could. <laughs> if had such faculties. And this is, I think, the beauty of collection, right? This is not a possessive word. Our, we don't own God. We relate to God. We're a, it's a family word. It's a relationship word. And when we come together in a church, we're not just coming together to have our own experience or to figure out where we are on some journey. We're coming together because this journey is a collective journey. You and I are all kind of working towards the same goal, which is to look more like Jesus in our lives. And the way that prayer functions, it has the power to unite our hearts to one another. Prayer has the capacity for us to find common ground because of God. I'm kind of belaboring this, and I got a lot more to go, and I want to get us to the point of communion. So let me just um, say this quickly. I, I was in Haiti um, 10, 12 years ago preaching at a church right after the, the earthquake. The church literally was severed in half. It was a building just like Heartland. It was a big warehouse, and it severed right in half. It was a, they put me on the 6 a.m. service, which was brutal. And I thought, no one's coming. You know, in America, people don't come until, you know, 20 minutes after the service. You know, it starts at 9 o'clock. And so, like, no one's going to be there. Guess what, guys? It's the same in Haiti. Okay. Service started at 6. Nobody's there. 6.20, everybody's there. It's crazy. Heaven is a place where people show up on time. I think that's what it is. Sorry, that's my own pastoral heart. I'm, I'm preaching, uh, and I, I'm being translated. 
nobody's understanding anything I'm saying. I get down off the stage, I feel like, that's crazy, that was a big whiff. And um, the service continues, and my, my friends were all in the front row, they're all bleary-eyed, they had to listen to me preach at 6 a.m., which is awful. And all of a sudden, they're suffering through the Creole language, nobody knows what's going on, all of a sudden, everybody starts chanting this thing. We realize it's the Lord's Prayer. And we can tell where they are in the Lord's Prayer. We all look at each other. We start reciting the Lord's Prayer in English. There were a ton of people there. There's about 1,500 people in this church at 6 a.m. It, it was wild. And um, they could hear, the people around us could hear us in English catching on to the Creole. And they started looking at us, smiling. And we looked around, and it was the thing that bridged the gap. Me being on stage couldn't bridge the gap to them. But us speaking the Lord's Prayer and praying together has, was what, what bridged the gap of relationship and brought people from different backgrounds and, and worlds and, and languages and allowed us to come together as family and God. And there's so many of you here at Heartland who have been to different countries and have, the, have had this experience cross-culturally, uh, whether you've been to Guatemala or Ethiopia or you've been around the world. You, you know the power of prayer when we come together. Together, it builds a family. And I think this is why Jesus says that if you, if you hate someone, you should pray for them. And I think this is why Jesus tells us to pray for our enemies. Uh, years ago, I had a woman come up to me in my church, and she, she said to me, Pastor, I need help knowing what to do with my husband. I hate him. And I appreciated her bluntness because it helped me know kind of what we were dealing with. I said, well, have you, have you thought about prayer? And that was too small of a suggestion. She was looking for divorce. She was looking for therapy. She was looking for a hit man. I don't know what she was looking for. <laughs> and I, I, I said, I said, pray. That's good advice, right? I mean, pray. She said, I don't, I don't want to. Because I don't want to start liking him again. That was her fear. She knew that if she prayed, that he wouldn't change. But she would. And this is the power of prayer and relationship. When, when we're struggling with one another, we pray for one another. We find out that they may never change in their whole entire life, but our heart towards them changes. And relationship gets built. It's the power of relationships, the relational power of prayer. Prayer changes us when we talk to our Father. Let me make some time up. So, the sovereign power of prayer is what Jesus goes next. The sovereign power of prayer. To be sovereign means to be totally in control, to have absolute authority, to, to, be, to be, it's a kingly word. And here's how it shows up in the prayer. Jesus says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed just means adored or revered or reverenced. Not cursed, but lifted up. And then he says this, your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven when many of us ask how do we get prayer to work for us what we're really asking is how do i get my will accomplished here on earth I don't know if you ever thought about the selfishness in that posture of prayer, but that's our default as Americans. We're just very excited to say, God, I know how this should work, and with enough resources and capital, this is totally going to fly, and I'm going to be better, and this is going to be great, and I'll make you famous, God, if you give me this stuff, but this is how it's got to go. Or, or we, can be, we can be wounded. We can be, we can be, we can be harmed. 
It's totally great, by the way. I love kids. This is, this is great. But we can be in these moments of, of being wounded and harmed, and we can tell God, hey, I know exactly how to make me whole. You need to fix me this way. You can even be in a, in a place of future desperation where you say, God, I don't, I don't really know any other way of how this works out unless it's this person for my life forever. So give me that. A lot of our prayers are us saying to God, here's my will, may it be done. And Jesus says, that's great. You can get your will done if it's the will of God. <laughs> and I notice this tendency among my two sons. My, my two sons, have one of them's figured this out as a, as a son and a dad, the other one has not. I've got one son who knows how to get his way. And it's to play into the things that move my heart. He, he studied me. He knows me. He's grown to love a lot of the things that I love. And he uses it to his advantage. And there's nothing wrong with it. I delight in the relationship I have with my son. It's, it's wonderful. I love as a dad giving gifts in line with the will that I have. My other son has not figured this out yet. And he will. But so far in life, he just has his stubborn way and he wants what he wants and, and that should be enough. But I don't want him to spend 20 hours in an iPad. Sorry, that makes me a bad dad. I want him to talk with me and I want him to, to, to know me. I want to play catch with him. I want, to, I want to do these things. And Jesus isn't saying that your will can't be accomplished. Actually, God delights in giving you the desires of your heart. But they're not going to happen if they're not the, the desires of God's heart. Because God is sovereign in this world. That means he's in control. That he does what he pleases. Jesus teaches us to pray for two arrivals in this world. If you want, if you want your heart's desires to be fulfilled, you've got to pray in line with the two desires of God's heart. There's two arrivals. The first is this. It's, it's your kingdom come. And the second is your will be done. Your kingdom come. This is a huge, huge, huge concept, but let me just say it this way. Matthew is the book about Jesus the king. He, he preaches the beginning of God's kingdom breaking into earth. The kingdom of God is such that, that God wasn't content with the earth to be broken and frustrated by sin, but he set Jesus to be the savior of the world. When Jesus stood in front of Pilate the night he was betrayed, and, and, or the, I guess the early morning of his crucifixion, Pilate asked him, if you're a king, where is your kingdom? And Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Jesus is a king. And our prayer ought to be not just Jesus, make my life blessed, but bring about your kingdom. Bring about the fullness of the world the way that you see that it should be. And do that first in my own heart. Make my heart good, make my heart pure, make my heart clean. This was not actually a, a new prayer that Jesus was teaching the, the Jewish people. They had a prayer in the temple that would go exactly like this. Here's a quote of the prayer. They would say, may God let his kingdom rule in your lifetime and in your days and in the lifetime of the whole house of Israel speedily and soon. In some sense, the prayers of the Israelites and the prayers even of us today is make the world as it should be. Why is this a sovereign power? Well, there's, there's two reasons. Because when we pray, your kingdom come, it is 
It is pledging allegiance to a higher kingdom than our citizenship. And Jesus is not anti-patriotism, but his kingdom's a little higher than any kingdom of this earth. Which means the flag that we fly has to be subservient to the kingdom of heaven. Let me be very clear. There's a, there's a strain of, of thinking that's been around for a couple decades, and it's really gaining popularity these days, and it is absolutely abhorrent to the gospel. It's this thinking that has been labeled Christian nationalism, that the goal of Christians in America is to make America a Christian nation by enforcing laws and all this stuff. There's a couple problems with this, but the main problem is what Jesus says. That as we come to God in prayer, we should be praying not for our country's laws to be enforced upon other people, but for the full reign and rule of God's kingdom to supersede every kingdom of this world. We think too small. When we equate our kingdom and our society with the kingdom of God as if these are parallel realms, we get it backwards. All of us bow our knees to Jesus. The second reason that that's kind of a problem is because throughout history, God has never needed a Christian nation to get his will done. In fact, gosh, just look at the history book. God does his best work when the leaders of a country, and I'm not saying we should pray for this <laughs> at all. I'm not, I'm, you know, there's a fine line here. But when the leaders of a country are antithetical to God, God tends to have great movements of his spirit in those places. We ought to pray, regardless of where we are, God, your kingdom, may it be great in my life. May your sovereign rule and reign rule in my heart so that I see your values as first before anything else. Here's the second reason that this is a sovereign power. So the first is because it's, it's, a, it's a pledging allegiance to a higher reality or a higher kingdom than our own earthly citizenship. The second reason is because when you pray, your will be done, this is an act of self-rejection. Do you hear what you say in these four words, your will be done? You're saying, God, however my life goes, I know the best thing for me is for you to have your way, not mine. Even if my way has to give, I want your way to win out. And why would you ever pray this? This is so dangerous. Why would you ever pray this? It's because of what Jesus says. Because when you pray, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, you're praying heaven down. You're praying, God, would you, would you come here and would you bring peace to this earth? On earth as it is in heaven. Heaven is a place where God's perfect, peaceful rule is working. And when we pray, we're ordering our hearts to God our Father, but we're also ordering our world to God our King. We agree with God that heaven ought to touch earth. You and I will never change our hearts unless we pray. You and I will always fight God for control of our lives unless we pray. You will always wrestle over your future. You will always have angst over your past. But if we pray, we say, God, the only powerful one in this entire world who can do anything about my life, have your way. I want to follow you.
Your way is best. Help me have the courage to follow you. Coincidentally, this was the prayer that our lead team prayed together that led us into the Welcome Home initiative. God, your will be done. If you never pray, you'll never be generous. You just never will. You're, you're going to hear things like you, you don't own all of the money that you make, and you're going to go, yes, I do. This is my money. I get to choose where I, where I send it, where I spend it, if I save it, if I put it in crypto, if I put it in the stocks, if I just bury it in my backyard. It's my money. But if you pray, understand your father's will, that he wants his kingdom to come to this earth, and he's invited us to be participants in that prayer, you'll mysteriously and inexplicably move from Ebenezer Scrooge to joyful, cheerful giver, not because of a sermon, but because of prayer. So if you don't want to be generous, don't pray. That's what I'm trying to say. And when, when our church, the end of last year, was presented with this opportunity to partner with Mission Adelante, we were facing a tremendous gap in our budget. We don't talk about money a lot because money is often an obstacle for people coming to Jesus. We want to make sure that the main thing is the main thing around here. And money is not the main thing. But money becomes a main thing when you're half a million dollars under budget. I don't know how your business would go if, if you were staring at the end of the year, Q4 rolls around and your projections are way off. And you're facing a deficit. Brad and Craig and myself, we, we, we sat in a conference room where God meets us in a conference room. And we looked at the numbers. And we looked at the need. We looked at our, let me be really honest, we looked at our paychecks. We looked at the need. And we prayed. When we prayed, God, your will be done, it was obvious to us where our energy should go at the end of last year was not to the future needs of our church or our ministry or whatever happens inside the walls of Heartland. We trust God is going to take care of us. We couldn't resist the fact that God's will of heaven coming to earth was in this need. And this decision will never make us the CEOs of the year. We knew that. But there was a nudge behind it that we felt so clearly like, God, you want us to, to join you in what you're doing in this world. This is your will, so we're going to follow you at our, own, at our own cost. And listen, I would do it all again today if the, if the situation came back up. Because the will of God will always bring us into a place of provision. And I know that as we follow God and let him have his way, our hearts will follow his rule and his reign, and he will provide for our needs. Amen? Amen. But we want his will to be done. When we pray, your will be done, this is an act of courage for us. For some of us, it's an act of saying, God, you know, I, just, I don't have a role in this like you do it. But I actually see this as an act of investment and courage and says God I want to I want to see you move I want to be in your I want to be in your will 
and center of your will, God, would you give me the courage to take the step to do the hard, the hard thing? We won't do that unless we pray. Guys, I'm out of time. Out of time. I have a whole other point that I could have preached, but I want to respect the fact that we've got something more important to do. We pray this prayer not as a formula. We pray this prayer because it's the prayer that Jesus lived. We can trust this prayer because this is how Jesus lived his life. The, the night that he was betrayed, he was in the garden of Gethsemane. He was sweating drops of blood and he was praying. And do you remember the prayer that he prayed? He said, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. But not my will, but yours be done. I'm so glad that Jesus didn't cop out at the 11th hour. I'm so glad that Jesus didn't just like insert his own will where God was leading him in a different way. But he surrendered his life and in prayer he said, God, not my will but yours be done. And on the cross, Jesus looked out amongst the people who were crucifying him. And he, he, he cried out another similar line from this prayer. He says, Father, forgive them. Forgive them their debts. He didn't say forgive me my debt because Jesus was sinless. He could not pray that prayer. Instead, he looked at us and he said, forgive them their debt. Be the God who forgives. I'm so glad that in prayer, we come to a loving heavenly father who builds a family. We come to a humble, gracious king who leads us into freedom and forgiveness. That the future of our lives is held not by the ingenuity of our minds or our fortune in the stock market, but very simply based on the power of our prayers. Prayer is powerful because we connect with God's heart and we bend our knee to our Savior King. And next week, next week is when we get to actually ask God for something and see that the, the third power of prayer is that he practically provides. There's a practical power. And I want to move us now into just a time of reflection over that practical power. That God actually touches our lives when we pray. We're going to do that through the, the taking of communion. Communion is just a way that we remember the death of Jesus Christ for our sins on the cross. Paying the penalty of our sins. His, his body broken. That's what the bread represents. We have crackers up here. We also have gluten-free options because we know. But uh, the brokenness of Jesus for us to become our forgiveness. That's what this is. And then the, the blood, which was spilled out as a sacrifice for our sins. In a moment, I want to give you a, 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 something to do before you come up. Um, but as you come up, I want you, if you've never been to Heartland before, you've never taken communion here, I just want you to know you're going to take the cracker, which represents the body of Jesus, which was broken for you. You're going you're gonna to take that. You're going to dip it in the juice, which represents the blood of Christ, which was poured out for you. And by taking, by partaking in this, we are reminding ourselves of the very practical, tangible reality that heaven has come to earth in some sense. And it is not fully here, but it has a beginning and it is growing. And we take this and we say to God, grow it in me. Grow it in me. Here's what I want us to do. This is gonna be very uncomfortable for some of us. You've got an out if this is maybe not the right next step for you. 
but because I believe that one of the things that our family as Heartland needs to do a little bit more of is pray together. And because we just saw that um, our Father is something we should pray together and not just the words in like some incantational rote way, but like in a prayerful coming to our Father way. I wanna give you just some space right here to actually pray with one other person. Okay, if you came by yourself, you're off the hook, just pray. But if you're here and like you've got a kid with you, um, maybe just take 15 seconds, just you know, lean in at the seat by you and just pray. You say, I don't know what to pray. Well, um, Matthew 6, pray the Lord's Prayer. You all recited it for me perfectly. You can do this. But maybe all you gotta do is just take a couple seconds, just thank Jesus for going to the cross for us. If you're here with a friend, you, know, you don't have to be family to pray with each other. You can just pray with a friend. Just take a moment and pray. If you're a husband and a wife who fought on the way over to church today, gosh, I mean, you're welcome. Pray. And if you don't, our counselors are available throughout the week. But maybe try prayer first. And so that's, that's what we're gonna do. We're just gonna take a moment. And I know this is risky. I know this is hard. I know this is maybe not even the type of church that we are, but who cares? This is the type of people we are. So the people who want to know our Father and come together and have our family built up in prayer. If you're online, we'd love for you to just drop maybe a prayer request in the chat. We would love to pray with you and for you. And then when you're ready, after a couple seconds, you can come forward and take communion together. I'll be up at the end of the service to close this. Let's do that now.